Welcome to the Caribbean Foreign Affairs Podcast, Diplomatically Speaking. I'm Dr. Janine Brown-Metzger, former Jamaican Consul General and your host. Join me for candid conversations with leaders on the front line of U.S. and Caribbean affairs about bilateral relations, U.S.-Asia geopolitical tensions over the region, foreign trade, and why the U.S. should deepen its relationship with the Caribbean in the post-pandemic era. We will also discuss fresh ideas coming from the region for new and diverse economic opportunities and innovative ventures, and what could be a paradigm shift in Caribbean economic strategy. Welcome to the first uh, episode of Diplomatically Speaking. It is great to be with you, and I'm especially honored to have as my first guest, my dear husband of many decades. Uh, A little bit about him, he is in his third career at the moment, uh, professor of economics at Fordham University, and prior to that worked on Wall Street in the um, energy and manufacturing sector. And then after that, uh, being in the market research and market intelligence uh, for companies in Asia and the United States. He's here to share his ideas on the Caribbean, and I'm going to pick on his brain. So Pick on my brain. Go ahead. (laughs) See if there's anything there. It is is an opportunity, really, to um, be holding forth with you on this subject at this time when the pandemic has struck the entire world and to be focusing on the Caribbean, uh, where tourism is so very much a part of of our economy. Mm -hmm. And I'm just uh, wondering what you think about what the recovery in the region would be like. Well, it's going to be uh, go through several stages. There's no question about it. The very first stage has got to be uh, to address the the health situation uh, there in Jamaica, there in the Caribbean in general. And I think uh, in re- trying to restore the tourist uh, industry, uh, there has to be basically a good uh, crisis, uh, what do they call them in the public relations field, a, a uh, crisis management team that knows what the heck they're doing. Uh, just today, I read a, an article that Caribbean Airways, or airlines, is reinstituting its flights uh, on a regional basis, and it went through all you know, a process of describing, you know, what they're in fact doing to assure passengers that they're going to be safe on a health, uh, in terms of their health. So I think that's the first thing. Uh, then we need to try to restore trade between normal trade relations between uh, the Caribbean and the United States. That's very clear. They're the major market for Caribbean products. And um, we have also, of course, the tourist industry, which is the major uh revenue source for the region. Well, you touched on something of interest. Of course, we're in the United States. I'm very pro-U.S. And uh, I do agree with you. I think that the U.S. is going to have to step up its game with respect to the region. We are the third border for the United States, basically. And um, over the years, we have been, uh, you know, an incredible partner. Uh, The significant issues of interest, of course, between us is is the border, immigration, uh, trade, um, and tourism. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, as you're probably well aware, there are threats to that relationship because we have now uh, China that's moving in and um, expressing its will and its power in that part of the region. Mm-hmm. But before we get to that, we'll probably discuss that later in, 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 the, in the program. I am curious about your ideas about these smaller Asian nations where many times we compare ourselves mm-hmm. with, for example, Singapore. I know you have some thoughts about that. Yes, I've done some uh, fairly rigorous uh, comparisons uh, over the uh, basically since the 1960s all the way up to the present, 
comparing the islands of the Caribbean versus the islands, the island economies in uh, in Asia, uh, Taiwan, uh, Singapore, South Korea, which is not an island, but but it's an up-and-coming developing country. Something you refer to as the Asian tigers. Yes, they uh, are often referred to as the Asian tigers, Hong Kong being another one. And it is seemingly quite difficult for the Caribbean, even though they have the uh, example of these nations, to follow the example and actually become a highly uh, fast-growing, developing uh, region as itself. It has developed. There's no question about that. I don't want to say that it's gone backward. It's certainly gone forward. But it doesn't uh, match the kind of performance that we see with, <clears throat> with the Asian tigers. Well, let's take one for example. The obvious example is Singapore. Mm -hmm. We have a similar size culture. We have a similar history, really, colonial history. Independence around the same time. uh, British colony and uh, basic English language and so on. Uh, They got their independence about the same time. um, And uh, basically Singapore took off from that point and Jamaica uh, somewhat lagged behind. I got to want to emphasize that, you know, again, uh, Jamaica did move forward but uh, not, you know, at the speed or the momentum uh, that Singapore had. A lot of analysis has been done on those two, you know, the two countries and the similarities by Mm -hmm. our local economists and policymakers. And Mm -hmm. uh, the explanation as to why there is a difference in terms of development is a complex one. Mm -hmm. Culture could be one, it could be a number of other issues. But I think that there are appropriate comparisons. Um, When we look at, for example, the development of their marine resources, Mm -hmm. uh, Singapore is now one of the top maritime, you know, ports in in the world. Jamaica has the seventh largest, deepest, largest or deepest rather, uh, port in the Western Hemisphere. So where shall we, you know... You mean in Asia, you mean? Right, sorry, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, the other thing about Singapore and the Asian Tigers is that they're highly diversified uh, countries. You know, they produce or transship you know, countless numbers of products um, through their system. And what we find in Jamaica is a pattern of, first of all, becoming, first of all, being dependent on bauxite early on. Uh, when that petered out, then uh, happily, uh, tourism came along, but they still have that same problem. So much dependency on a single industry. And if something goes wrong in it, for one reason or another, uh, you can see what's going to happen. It's, it's going to be very difficult to recover. On the other hand, a, a diversified industrial country has many uh, ways in which it can surface out of a crisis of any kind, whether it be a natural disaster or uh, whether it be uh, a trade war, you name it. Uh, it has many uh, ways in which it can uh, maneuver around the uh, the obstacles. I agree with you. I mean, it's kind of classic investment. Always make sure your portfolio is diversified. In my humble opinion, I think the Caribbean is, uh, it's a situation where it would be tourism and something. It will never get to a point where it's not tourism and we are into wholly into other types of industries. Our natural resources is a great climate, hospitable mm-hmm. people. So it will be tourism and something else. What other kinds of industries you think we are? Would be appropriate well, for. there's a wide selection of possibilities. Again, uh, the the leadership uh, of the countries involved have to get out. They have to be speaking with, interviewing companies that might be investing within the country, uh, within their various uh, countries in the region itself. 
Uh, I think of the case study of Costa Rica, uh, an excellent one where Intel came in and set up a electronic assembly plant. Uh, Costa Rica didn't have any background in electronic assembly, uh, but they did have an educated population and they had a great willingness to work, a great uh, work culture, which I think is in uh, Jamaica and the region as well. Um, Intel came in and it was a very successful enterprise in in the context of a highly competitive global industry, and yet they were still able to be quite successful. Now, industry usually is associated with high electricity costs, high energy costs. Mm-hmm. Is that, and I think uh, one of the big challenges in Jamaica, perhaps a little less so in other parts of the region, mm-hmm. is the high cost of energy. So the question is, um, does it make sense to go into manufacturing where uh you know, we won't be able to be competitive in terms of pricing because we've got to factor in that high energy Well, cost. I think you have to recalculate these costs. Uh, I was looking at some data just the other day. In 1999, the uh, average price for crude oil was, was $113 a barrel. Today, it is less than $50 a barrel, and it seems to be still going down. So you have many more energy sources. I might mention Guyana in the region itself. Uh, it hasn't come on in production as far as I know as yet, but a tremendous oil find there offshore. And that is going to, you know, be, I think, a key resource for, uh, energy within the region. So I think that has to be recalculated. I'm surprised that you have not mentioned, uh, you know, green, green forms of energy. And you know, green renewables. forms of energy is another the solar We can't power. really be talking about manufacturing today unless we really talk about renewables. So I'm surprised they didn't put more emphasis on that. Well, uh, you can put uh, all the emphasis you want on renewables. I certainly agree with it. Uh, but, you know, the, the reality of it is that hydrocarbons are going to be the major source of energy uh, for some time to come. Uh, you can, uh, you can, you know, uh, add to the, the, the whole matrix of energy uh, sourcing by the renewables. That's fine. I certainly agree. I happen to take, I happen to be, you know, disagree with you really pretty profoundly because I, I, I think the future of the Caribbean is going to depend on the extent to which it can really ramp up in a very significant way, the use of renewable energy. Uh, there have been, um, you know, case studies already in Barbados, which I think uses more than 60%, I believe. I hope I'm not overstating it, uh-huh. uh, of our renewables for its energy source. Uh, we now have LNG and, um, I think there's tremendous opportunity there to bring back the manufacturing sector if we can somehow lick this behemoth of an energy cost. And I think renewables will be the answer, will be the how we get there. Yeah, well, I would agree with you. You just have to do the cost, you know, the cost estimations, the cost calculations and see where you come out. But I think whether you're talking renewables or whether you're talking about the hydrocarbons and and the abundance of it that we currently have, which is going to continue into the foreseeable future, I believe, uh, you may find a much better deal uh, with regard to uh, the very conventional hydrocarbon sources of energy. We'll agree I to do not, I don't see that that's going to be necessarily a barrier to manufacturing. We, we'll, we'll agree to disagree on that because I'm keeping in mind also the fact of the damage that uh, that will do uh, you know, to, to our very environment, which is our biggest resource, really, for tourism. But we'll, we'll agree to disagree. There have been many issues where we disagree in our really? many decades of marriage. So that's, that, that's interesting. Um, but I did want to return to this is- issue of the geopolitical uh, press from Asia in the region. Uh, China is the dragon. If, you know, if, 
the small Asian uh, countries are tigers, mm -hmm. then uh, China is a lion or maybe more appropriately a dragon. Yeah. And the dragon is in the Caribbean, and uh, we got to deal with that. Um, uh, you know, I won't project how you know governments feel about China uh, geopolitically. The reality is that they're there, and they are a major player in a lot of our important infrastructure, roads, mm -hmm. bridges, uh, even in the educational uh, field, and so on. And they mm -hmm. are holding a lot of our notes, right. and a lot of our debt. So what do you think uh, is going to happen where that's concerned? Well, I think it is it is a geopolitical issue. I think China uh, quite purposely uh, developed its economy to the degree that it has already, which is pretty um, spectacular. Uh, it pushed its export markets, very much of an uh, Asian type of uh, economic expansion. Uh, Japan did it, uh, Singapore is doing it, Taiwan is doing it, and so on. You have all these uh, various examples of it, and, and China followed along, uh, uh, got into the global free market, and is doing it too. In the course of doing that, it has piled up tremendous amount of uh, foreign reserves, hard currencies, which you can spend around the world in all manner of different uh, investment projects. And the Caribbean is not being left out of that as one of the targets. The big question in it is really, is it really an economic benefit? It could make the argument that it is. It's a return on investment. The Chinese are in, you know, in there to make money, as most people are, most companies are. Uh, but does it have also a component or an element of, uh, of political pressure, which they might use, for example, uh, extend their influence into the United Nations or into some other regional politics? Uh, that's something that has to be, people have to be beware of. Mm -hmm. They have to be aware of it and beware of the dragon, I would say. Mm -hmm. Well, there are also issues with respect to the workforce. Mm -hmm. uh, when yeah. the Chinese come in with these multi-billion dollar mm -hmm. uh, projects, they usually, part of the deal that they cut is to bring in tens of thousands of their workers. Part of the deal yeah. is you got to hire our people. And that has been the source of a lot of angst for, really? for the Caribbean uh, leaders yeah. because we have high levels of unemployment. As well in double digits, exactly. somewhere approaching in the 30s in some in some societies. Mm -hmm. Very important uh, issue, I think, and uh, it, it's very perplexing to me. Clearly, the Chinese want to be there, and you say, well, you know, they have so much of the bargaining power. Not necessarily so. They want to be in the Caribbean. They're big investors in Africa. They have reasons for for doing that. They also have. You know, a, a sense of, as I mentioned just before, uh, could be a return on investment, but I think more likely it's a geopolitical influence that they're interested in. And I think Jamaica and the Caribbean can leverage that Chinese interest to their own benefit. And when you talk about bringing in Chinese workers, the other aspect of it is that these are the kinds of skills that you want to develop within your own economy. You know, these are, you can take a, uh, a relatively unskilled worker and teach him construction trades, and all of a sudden he becomes, you know, a valuable asset for the entire region. That's very critical that they change, if indeed it requires this, to change the policy to insist that a significant percentage of the workforce be native workers. Well, listen, I'm sure Caribbean leaders would want that. Mm -hmm. Okay, so saying, you know, we are kind of quarterbacking here, 
Uh, if that's the football term, I'm a tennis player myself, but you're the football guy. Uh, the question is, why don't they? And I think the answer is pretty simple. They don't there because they don't feel, the leaders don't feel they have, they want the money and they don't have the leverage well, because China walks in, China walks in with this big pot of money. Mm. The countries have got to get their roads done. Mm -hmm. If you don't have good transportation channels, you can develop all you want. You can't get your products from one place yeah. to the other. So roads and infrastructure become so pr uh, mm. premium to yeah. economic development and manufacturing and yeah. running and running business. Yeah. So that becomes, you know, something that's hard for them to push back on. Now, I'm, I want to break down this. I'd like to add one other thing to that, uh, which is uh, namely, I think that if the Caribbean as a region began to bargain with and negotiate with China, as opposed to just individual single countries, because China could come along and say, oh, well, you don't want our money. Well, well, we'll just go over to Barbados or we'll just go over to Trinidad and Tobago or we'll go to Africa. You know, it's uh, all the same to us. You want it or don't you want it? They might say something like that. But if they're dealing with a, un a unified regional approach that's at the bargaining table, that might swing things in, in a different direction. Have you read where they have not dealt with the CARICOM? Is that no, what you're I, reacting I, to? I, I must confess that I don't know. Okay. Well, you know, we have, as you know, the CARICOM, which is essentially yeah. a regional trading block. Right. And I must say, in my research, I have not seen where the negotiations with the Chinese have been in the context of a regional trading block. Yeah. I think each country is kind of vetting on its own. So maybe there's something there. The truth of the matter is that, you know, this whole idea of... Uh, how we work together as a trading block in the Caribbean mm -hmm. has been something that's pretty daunting. It's something that we have not uh, grasped a hold mm -hmm. of to the mm -hmm. extent that we could. Mm -hmm. And again, you're talking about sovereign nations. It's not easy. Uh, the nations are so different in terms of their size of population, their economic base, their GDP, that perhaps larger nations feel that, you know, well, you know, we can go it alone. We don't really need the smaller nations. Whatever the reason. In my research, I don't see where we have been attaining to the, the, the Chinese negotiations in terms of a block, mm -hmm. a CARICOM trading mm -hmm. block. Mm -hmm. But perhaps that's something we ought to look into further. But I wanted to spend the last few minutes of our talk breaking down, uh, diving a little more deeply into why you feel this is more of a geopolitical, China's interest is more of a geopolitical one than it is a business interest. Well, uh, that's a difficult question, really, to answer. Uh, I, 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 as I said, the Chinese didn't do anything that was particularly different from what, uh, for example, J Japan did in previous decades. But on the other hand, when it came to Japan, there was a significant pushback, both from the United States and from Europe, at a certain point in time, uh, basically during the late 70s and uh, mid-80s. And we, the United States, was successful in negotiating, for example, a, a, a voluntary regulation of Japan's uh, auto imports, That's for right. example. That's right. I remember. Uh, now, that kind of thing, I think, uh, it could happen again with, with China. I think, it, in fact, it will happen with China. But uh, the geopolitical aspect of it uh, is, is basically this. They have comp they have gathered or collected such a uh, stockpile of foreign reserves, hard currencies that they can basically invest around the world 
And they are, there's no question that they are using that leverage, that economic leverage to promote their own politics. Uh, you see it all the time. You hear stories all about how, you know, when someone criticizes China for one thing or another, and all of a sudden there's a big pushback or a big, uh, you know, uh, outcry from China itself. Pressure is put on individuals to be quiet. And, uh, you know, they, you see that kind of thing. So are you suggesting that somehow they are being purposeful? Of course, they're being purposeful. But I guess mm. I want you to kind of explain that a little bit more purposeful in terms of coming after the Caribbean in response to perhaps a gap that has been left by the United States. You know, it's interesting to me that it's not until the the um, last president that we had a U.S. Um, U.S having that level of engagement with the Caribbean. We haven't seen many U.S. presidents come mm -hmm. into the Caribbean in the last 20 years, mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. uh, there have been several legislative attempts, including the most recent one in 2017, coming out of Congressman Engel of New York, mm -hmm. to put together a piece of legislation called the Caribbean Engagement Act or something like that, mm -hmm. uh, where the idea is to deepen the relationship between the United States and the Caribbean. And I must say that that piece of legislation came as a direct result to the pushback by the United States to mm. China's engagement yeah. in the region. Well, However, I, that got mm. sidelined. That's not really gone anything other than good press, you know, mm. briefings or whatever. Mm. We really mm. haven't, the United States really hasn't delivered on that. Mm -hmm. Well, I do think you're absolutely right. The U.S. has to step up to the plate here and, and begin to take you know, the situation in the Caribbean uh, with the Chinese influence, take it much more seriously than they have. And uh, I think both Democrat and Republican have got to get on board with this. I know uh, Representative Engel is a Democrat. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, I would hope that he will continue to pursue this effort and we'll see some come to fruition. In my introduction, I, I think I made the point that I kind of played my hand a little bit. I feel that now is the time for the U.S. to prioritize its policy towards the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. And uh, I do feel that. I think that uh, with the threats to the world that the pandemic has posed, uh, if the U.S. is hurting, the Caribbean is near death, is on life support. Mm -hmm. um, the interests, uh, the U.S. interests in the region are even more heightened now. I think there's a host of reasons why the U.S. needs to grab this opportunity yeah. to really get in there and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, let his friends know that we're here and we're yeah. here to support you. Yeah, in some sense, you can see the coronavirus almost creates a vacuum in, in which, uh, you know, the big players are, are going to jump in mm -hmm. if, if they have the interest in doing so. Mm -hmm. So it's not something, that, you know, this is not business as usual. Uh, this coronavirus has created a, another reason for U.S. interests to really step up to the plate, as you said. Absolutely. Well, this has been such a joy. We could talk forever. I know you have a lot of opinion on these subjects. We've shared them uh, um, over the years, and you have shared them with your class, uh, your developmental economics class at Fordham mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. And so we look forward to having you back again right. uh, on the very same I'll subject. Love Thank you for listening to Diplomatically Speaking, the Caribbean Foreign Affairs podcast that keeps you up to speed on the issues about the most pressing matters of our time concerning the region and how they connect to you. We hope you'll join us again for another exciting conversation. Please visit us online at www.diplomaticallyspeaking.com and share this podcast with others. Until next time, walk good.